Okay, so we're going to start in Exodus 21. So, for our visitors, <laughs> for our first-time visitors, uh, we've been going through Exodus on Wednesday nights, and it's been a really good time. Um, we just recently finished up the Ten Commandments, um, and we got a little bit further into it, but um, where we're at now in the Bible is now that the people have already crossed over the Red Sea and they're at the Mount of Sinai um, and they're starting to establish themselves as a people group, um, what we're about to go over now in these next three chapters, and yes, I said that right, three chapters, um, it's just the law that God uh, gave to Moses so he can speak over the people. Um, it was to help, you know, with the, with the judges that he placed over the people um, in order that they would know how to live by God's standards. And sort of like today, there, there's certain standards that we have to meet as Christians. Um, and a lot of them are moral standards. A lot of them we do get from the Bible. Um, but for this specifically, it was for this people group. And I just pray that you guys are blessed by it. And so let's go ahead and we'll just dig right in, okay? So it says, Exodus 21, uh, now these are the judgments which you, shall set, which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. Um, if his master gives him a wife, and she bore him sons and daughters, the wife and the children, they shall be the masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then the master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Uh, so this is pertaining to literally servants. Um, a lot of people get it confused with slavery, which it's not slavery. Um, what it is is in these days, when people owe debts that they couldn't get out of, or let's just say, um, you know, people, they're trying to get on their feet, they, they weren't able to, to provide for themselves, they could use their, their personal body, they can give themselves over to somebody that was wealthy, somebody that, you know, was flourishing in the land, and they can serve them. And here it says that they would serve them for six years. So as they would serve them these six years, they're, they're literally property of whoever they're under, and uh, they, they would be able to serve for six years, whatever their duties were, and, and in it, the master would provide for them. He would give them shelter, he would feed them, and in return, they would just work, they would work for it. Um, and as you see here, it says that sometimes they would come in alone, and if they came in alone, after their sixth year, come the seventh year, the master, he, he then has to set them free. Um, we see that with the year of Jubilee. It's pretty much the same concept. So the year of Jubilee is, is Anybody that owed money or had debts that they couldn't pay, no matter what it was, it'd be, let's just make it relevant today, they owed like $10,000 to somebody, right? Maybe you're in debt for car loans or whatever. The whole six years is your responsibility to, to make those payments, to be faithful, you know, to do what you gotta do to take care of business. But as soon as that seventh year came, no matter what was owed to your debtors, they just had to wipe it clean. So here we see, and this was, this was established here in order that the masters, they wouldn't um, abuse their power over these people, you know? Um, and, and also it says here that if you give him a wife and they bore children, that although they're married and they're one, as soon as the man is able to leave, 
Um, the wife and the children belong to the master until they fulfill their duties. But because, like I said, this isn't technically slavery, it's just a way to provide for themselves. Um, if the servant decided, hey, I really know that my master's providing for me, and uh, I, I just want to be here because I love serving him, he's a good master, he would then declare to the people, the master would take him out to the judges, and he would literally pierce his ear. And that would be a sign that I'm devoted and I'm committed to serving this master for the rest of my life. So at that point, he would belong to the master, but it says he wants to serve him because he loves him. Um, and, and a cool way to relate that that really stuck out to me is there's six books in the New Testament. Um, Romans, Philippians, Titus, James, Second Peter, Jude. Um, they all start off their letters by calling themselves bondservants of Christ. And this is for us to relate to. So when we want to be servants of, of Jesus and we, and we consider ourselves bondservants, we're declaring that, Lord, I want to be used by you forever. You're providing for my needs. You're providing for everything that I have and everything I want. And you're a faithful servant, and I love to serve you. So verse 7 goes on to say, And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as a male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, and then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her accordingly to the customs of a daughter. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her foot, her clothing, or her marriage rights. And if he does not do these things for her, then he shall set her out to go free without paying any money. So now this is pertaining to, to women servants. Um, they're supposed to be respected and they're supposed to be at a higher standard um, than the men. Because the Lord is saying that, you know, as, as a man and a woman come together, it's a man's responsibility to provide for his wife. And so here... For um, what's kind of funny saying this because my dad's in here and I'm here. Um, for those of us that have daughters, this is a kind of a concept you want to live by. Okay, you want you want to pray for your daughters to be given to somebody that's able and capable to take care of them. Um, you don't want to have to worry about it. And so it's saying here that if for some reason the master that she's under or the husband, if he decides, hey, you know, she's not good enough. I don't. I'm not clicking with her. She's not fulfilling. Um, what I thought she would fulfill, he then can offer her to his son. And at that point, if the son takes her as a wife, then she becomes like a daughter-in-law to him, and it's still his responsibility to provide for her as he would for a daughter-in-law. But if through all of that, they just decide, you know, she's not worth our time, I don't want to give her to my son, then he has no choice but to set her free. And, and then she's good to be on her own again and go back to be redeemed by her family. So now we're going to jump down to verse 12. It's the law concerning violence. Um, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will point for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, he shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father and mother shall surely be put to death. Um, so we see here the Lord specifically talks about striking a man. And what stood out to me here is in Genesis 4, um, when Cain, you know, he, he had this anger built up because the Lord didn't accept his offering and he accepted his brother Abel's. He, he became jealous. Um, so he premeditated on it. You know, he let it simmer in his heart and his mind. And the Lord approached him in Genesis 4 and the Lord told him, Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do, do not, if you do not do well, then sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So the Lord knows our hearts, and He knows when we're premeditating on on um, ideas, not to let anything build up in your heart where you have hate or anger towards your brother or sister. Um, in First Corinthians three fifteen. It says that even if um, you, you say that you hate your brother, you technically murder them in your, in your heart. Like, that's how the Lord sees it. So, the whole idea here is just love your neighbor, love your brethren. Do not let anger build up because sin does lie at the doorsteps of your heart. And it'll just grow and it'll grow and it'll grow and it'll manifest to the point where you end up doing something um, that you probably shouldn't be doing and you regret later. Verse 16 says, he who kidnaps a man and sells him. Or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Um, and he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death as well. So that part right there, what stuck out to me as well, is in Genesis um, when Joseph's brother sold him. And I think what, the, what Moses got from the Lord here is what the Lord had already seen man commit, right? Um, the Lord knows all things and he sees all things. And um, maybe this people group, they might not necessarily have heard about Cain and Abel. They might not have necessarily heard about Joseph. But sometimes the Lord is going to correct us and he's going to use examples that have already passed because he knows he knows what's going to come of it. Um, so here he's just saying, hey, like, don't kidnap anybody. You know, don't sell them because then you're going to be put to death. And verse 18 says, if the men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, but he does, but he does not die, but he's confined to his bed. If he rises again and walks outside with his staff, then he who strikes him shall be acquitted. He should only pay for the loss of time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. So if two men get into a brawl and, and one gets striked and, and he, you know, he's crippled and um, at this point he doesn't die. He's just in bed rest and, and he's maybe handicapped for a bit. The Lord's saying the person that struck him, it's your responsibility to pay for his time loss, to pay for his wages. And you're going to continue to pay for him until he's able to provide for his family again. If a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he um, dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his property. Um, if a man fights and hurts a woman with a child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if the harm follows then you shall give a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, and a stripe for a stripe. Um, so just plain and simple. If the master over his female servant, if she's with child and, and he strikes her and she gives birth prematurely, a lot of these women do have husbands. Um, it's then his responsibility not to only pay the price that it's gonna require, um, you know, for, for causing that to happen, but the husband also gets to act as a judge in this matter, and he gets to decide what's going to happen to this uh, man for striking his wife. And then it goes on to say, if you hit somebody in the eye, if you hit somebody in the mouth and knock out a tooth um, with their hand, their foot, if you burn them, if you wound them, if you give them stripes, and it's not called for, in return, you're going to get the same punishment that you gave them. So it's kind of one of those treat people the way you want to be treated thing. <laughs> um, and it's also a way that the masters, you know, would treat their servants with respect. Um, so and we're going to continue on in 26, where it says, If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, 
he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go for the sake of his tooth. So once again, just they don't have the right to abuse their servants. Yes, they're, they're, they're working for them and they're above them, but it doesn't give them the right to mistreat them. And, um, you know, just whatever, whatever is going to make them um, feel punished for unnecessary reasons. If the master gets mad and strikes them, the Lord says, hey, if you wound them, then they're free from whatever um, control you have over them. So now we're going to jump into animal control laws. Verse 28. Um, if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten. But if the owner of the ox shall be acquitted, um, but if the ox tended to thrust with his horn in the past times, and it has been made known to the owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and the owner shall be put to death as well. So, um, obviously back then they farmed, and, and there was wild animals. I mean, I don't want to say wild, but animals that we probably wouldn't keep today. As you see, there's an ox here. They're speaking specifically of oxes. So if this ox just had, you know, it just had rage built up, whatever, and it goes and, and it actually attacks a man or a woman, and at this point, if it actually kills them, then yeah, the ox is to be killed. And if someone were to say in the past, hey, your ox attacked me, and it was made known to the owner, and everybody else around knew about it, but he still didn't keep it confined and away from the people, and it got out and killed somebody, then the ox gets killed, and the owner gets killed as well, because he already knew about the matter. So it's kind of, you know, just, just keep your animals in control, and not to just let them run free, and just be careless. Um, <clears throat> There is imposed on him a sum of money that he shall pay to redeem his life. Whatever is imposed on him, whether it's gourd, a son, or a gourd, a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Um, interesting here how the wages for a servant being killed, and obviously like we're talking about, the servants are working for a master because they can't provide for themselves. So they're the lowest of the lows, right? So if an animal were to kill one of your servants, all you have to do is pay 30 shekels of silver to, to, the, to the family of whoever got gored. Um, what's interesting here is in Matthew 26, 14, Jesus was also sold for 30 shekels. So that goes to show you what people thought of Jesus, right? They thought of him as, as just a slave, as somebody that was so low that he was just worth the cost of a servant, of a slave. And that, that's what they thought about Jesus. Um, if a man is opening a pit, or if a man digs a pit and he does not cover it, or an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it. And the dead ox shall, they shall divide also. Or if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in past times and the owner did not keep it confined, he shall surely pay an ox for an ox and the dead animal becomes him, becomes his. So just basically if you know, you're working in, in your property, if you're doing some kind of just maintenance or work and you dig this big ditch and you leave it there and you don't cover it up and the animal falls in and it dies, well, then you're going to pay the owner of that animal for being careless. Um, and then it goes on to talk more again. So about, you know, just aggressive animals. This time it's not pertaining to man, it's pertaining to other animals. 
if they attack your animal and they kill your animal, well then you gotta pay the price for the animal that it killed. And then on top of that, the dead animal becomes yours. Um, that was a shameful thing because for an animal to be, you know, to be wicked or, or stoned or, you know, killed for, for this kind of reason, um, you don't want to touch it. It's considered defiled, you know, it's not worth touching, it's not worth anything. So the fact that it's now in your possession to dispose of it was like kind of like a slap in the face to the people. Um, so now we're going to jump into um, responsibilities of properties. So if a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore the oxen for an ox and uh, four sheep for one sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. Um, if the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He shall make full restoration. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, um, he shall restore double. So here is just, you know, getting back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus um, 2017. It's the last, the last commandment that's given to the people. It says, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor, your neighbor's house. Uh, you shall not cover your, your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his servants or his female servants, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Um, the Lord doesn't want you coveting it. It doesn't belong to you. He has things for you that, that are, you know, there for the taking, as long as you, you follow whatever it is you, you need to do to, to be in unity with the Lord. But don't ever look at your neighbor's property and want it for yourself because it doesn't belong to you. It's your neighbor's property. Um, so if a man causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed and he lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restoration from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and it catches in the thorns so that the stacked grain, um, standing grain or in the field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall make restoration. So another thing, just to keep an eye on, you know, your own property. The animals in those times, they would let them out to go graze the fields and to eat the pastures. And if for whatever reason, one of your animals ended up in somebody else's property, even if it was like the corner or the ugliest part of the property, it doesn't matter. Um, the fact that your animal got that far into another man's area and he starts grazing in their field and eating it, well, now it's your responsibility to pay back for what, what the animal took, you know? Um, and you're going to pay back from the best of what you have, not just what you feel is acceptable. Um, verse 7 of chapter 22 says, If a man delivers to his neighbor money or article to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the theft is found, or if the thief is found, he shall pay double. The thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's good. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whoever the judge uh, condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man delivers to his neighbor a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or an animal to keep, and it dies, um, it's hurt or it's driven away with no one seen it, then the oath of the Lord shall be between them both. And he has not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. But if in fact it is stolen from him, he shall make restoration to the owner of it. If it is torn into pieces by a beast, then he shall bring the evidence, and he shall not make good for what was torn. So, 
just again here, um, if it's your responsibility to make sure that you're respecting what belongs to your neighbors. Um, and then they're saying there are certain instances and situations where maybe an accident occurs, you know, um, maybe you weren't paying attention and one of the animals got killed. Maybe a, just a, a lion or a bear or something came out and, and killed the animal without anybody noticing it, but the carcass is there. You take that to the judges and that's the proof that I had nothing to do with it. You know, it was an accident and it's, it just, it is what it is. That's what the Lord said, the oath shall be between the two men. But if you were just neglecting it and, you know, um, something happened under your watch and under your care, it's your responsibility to pay back for what was lost. Um, and then we'll go on to, if a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner will not be with it, shall surely make it good. If the owner was with it, he shall make it good. But if it was hired, it came for his hire. So once again, same thing. Um, just respect what, whatever you're borrowing from your neighbors. Um, so we're going to go into verse 16 here. And this is going to be about sexual immorality. So if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and he lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If the father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay the money according to the bride price of a virgin. Um, <laughs> so here it's just saying that if pretty much you're not married um, and, and a man entices a virgin to sleep with him, uh, you now have to pay the father the price of taking your daughter's virginity. Um, because obviously here in 1 Corinthians 6, it says, uh, Do you not know that your bodies are a member of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he, has, he who is joined to a harlot is one with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined in the Lord is in the spirit with him. So in other words, us being, you know, Christians and believers, and, and for those of you that know, don't know, the word Christian actually means like little Christ. So it's our responsibility to remember that the spirit is, is it lives in us, it dwells in us. So anything we do, whether it be sexual immorality, whether it be murdering somebody, whether it be, you know, just um, treating people wrong, the spirit is always with us. So when, when we partake in those things, we're forcing the spirit to be a part of those things too. And um, it's just saying here, like, you need to respect, you know, you need to respect the fact that the spirit is with you. You're one with the spirit. And when it comes to sexual morality here, um, the Lord says when a man and wife are joined together, that they become one. And, and the idea for, for sex here is that it would, um, it would be for husband and wife. That's the whole point of it. It's, it's for them. And, your body is supposed to be for your spouse and for nobody else. Um, John Randall gave a really good illustration. Um, I was listening to one of his sermons and talking about sexual morality. He says, think about like, you know, the sticky, the sticky notes that you use has a little sticky stuff behind it. So when you use it one time, it works perfectly fine, right? And, and it attaches and it sticks. But every time you take it off and you're, you're reusing it, reusing it, reusing it, at one point, it's going to be used up so much that it, it's just, it doesn't work. Um, you could finally put it for something that belongs to you, something that, something that uh, where it's supposed to be, but because you used it up so much, it's just not going to click. There's not going to be a connection there. Um, so we're going to continue. We're going to continue on here. And in verse 18, it says, "You shall not permit a sorceress to live. 
that's witchcraft. Um, you know, it's just a demonic thing, and the Lord wants us to restrain from that. Verse 19 says, whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. That's obviously a common sense one. Don't have sex with animals. That's literally what it's saying. <laughs> Verse 20 says, he who sacrifices to any god except the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. Um, Exodus 20 uh, tells us that, you know, God, he's a, he's a jealous God. And he wants a, our attention. He wants us to worship him. He wants us to praise him. And he wants to provide for us. And right here, he's just making it loud and clear. Um, don't sacrifice to any other gods because nobody else gives you what you have. Nobody else provides for you. No matter what you think, no matter why you think you're prosperous, no matter why you think you're successful, um, no matter why you think you have a good job, a roof over your head, it's because the Lord provided that opportunity for you and he just wants to be acknowledged for it. Um, verse 21 says, You shall neither um, mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are one stranger in the land of Egypt. Just, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, the Lord delivered them from Egypt. And he's telling them, remember that. You guys were once strangers in a land that wasn't yours. And I, and I redeemed you and I got you out of that. So just don't treat strangers and people that cross through your paths. Don't treat them wrong. Uh, 25 says, if you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For this is his only covering, it is his garment for his skin. What shall he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. Um, Matthew 18, 21 and 33, I don't have those in the notes, but it's about um, not taking advantage of, it goes into, you know, not taking advantage of people that owe you stuff. Um, it takes us back to, um, if you guys want to actually, let's just turn there and I'll read it to you guys. So Matthew 18. <clears throat> uh, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Oh Almost there. <laughs> So it's the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, many of you that have been, you know, walking with the Lord, I'm sure you've heard this before. Um, but it's just talking about forgiving people of their debt and remembering that the Lord, um, when he forgives us of our debts, that we got to return that favor. So I'm just going to read it for you really quick. It says, Then Peter came to him, speaking of the Lord, and he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I should forgive him for up to seven times? And Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle his accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, but he was not able to pay it. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that the payment be made. But the servant, therefore, he fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all that I owe you. And the master of the servant was moved by his compassion and he released him and he forgave him of his debt. So this guy says he owes the master 10,000 talents. He can't pay for it. And the master says, well, then you and your whole family are gonna be sold for your wages. You're gonna become servants. 
and you're still gonna work it off until, until you know, you're caught up with what you owe me. But the husband of this family, he just falls down before him and just passionately cries out and just, you know, like, please, like, give me time, I'll pay it to you, you know, just be patient with me. And the master was so moved by it, he says, hey, you know what? You're a man, of, you're a man for your family. Obviously, you care for your family and he, he released him of his debt, but check out what happens here. So that guy, the same servant, he went out after this happened and he found a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii, which is less than what he owed his master. And he laid his hands on him and he took him by the throat and he said, pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down to his feet and he begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not. But he went and he threw him into a prison till he should pay his debt. So when the fellow servants heard about this, what, what this, this un, you know, grateful servant did to somebody else, um, they went to the master and they called him out and they said to him, and the master tells him, you wicked servant, I forgave you for all your debt because you begged me, but you are, you are not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you. And his master was angry and he delivered him to the tortures until he paid all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to each of you from his heart uh, if you do not forgive his brother and his trespasses. So I think that's just a perfect example. It's just if you've been forgiven of anything, uh, of any debt that you owe anybody, and that doesn't just pertain to money, that just pertains to um, just life situations in general, you know. Maybe you, you had a disagreement with somebody, you rubbed them the wrong way and they have every right to be mad at you, they have every right to condemn you, but they forgive you, then when somebody else bothers you the same way or you have that kind of um, affliction towards somebody else, because you've been forgiven, you must forgive them also. Because it says here, the way you treat others is the way that God is going to treat you. You'll be judged the way that you're judging others. Um, verse 28 says, <clears throat> where are we in 28? Yeah, we are. Verse 28 says, You shall not revile God, nor, nor, nor curse ruler of peoples. Um, Daniel 2.21, it reads to us and it says, This is speaking of God. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he raises up kings. And then again, following up on that in the New Testament, we got Romans 13. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, you're resisting the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So what this is saying here is, and, and we see it today, Joe Biden is just, you know, he's just this guy that's getting all this heat. Um, because he is the president of the United States. And, and we saw that with Donald Trump as well. You know, everything that went wrong, everything that was bad, people were just bashing and bashing and bashing. And it's the same thing today with Joe Biden. Everything that's going bad, you know, the prices rising on everything, they're bashing and bashing and bashing. But here the Bible tells us, you know, don't be that way towards the rulers and the leaders in your nation because God put them there. God said, I put them there, you know, and, and, and he says, Everything that, that, that they're doing and, and everything that, whether it's good or bad, they're having that opportunity because they're there for a reason because I allow that opportunity. Um, God raises up rulers and, and he, he lowers rulers. Um, 
I, I can relate to that with the situation for myself. Um, coming down, you know, um, leave the way that we left our old church at Calvary Pico. You know, I bumped heads with our pastor there, and um, I was mad. <laughs> and I was mad. I know, I know a lot of people in this room know that because I reached out and I asked for prayer. And um, reading scripture like this just reminds me, you know, the Lord has him there. The Lord is using him no matter what I think. No matter what, I, Lord, why is he a pastor? Lord, why is he leading over this church? It's because God has him there. And when we question what the people that God is using, then we're questioning God. And we've seen Moses and Aaron get that same heat with the children of Israel as they're leading them um, out of their bondage. The people are constantly crying out and whining. Did you bring us out to the desert to kill us? You know, we had all the food. We had everything we needed under Pharaoh's watch. They were dwelling on their past. They were dwelling on negative things because they just weren't content. And, and they were questioning Moses and Aaron. And every time Moses and Aaron met with the Lord, the Lord would tell them, remember, your people are questioning me. They're not questioning you. And they would tell the people, like, who are we? We're just man. You're questioning us about our decisions, but we're doing what the Lord's asking us to do. Um, so all it is to say is just respect the authorities above you. That could be at work. Um, it can be as simple as your boss. Your boss is your boss because the Lord has them there, you know? People in the center in the Senate because the Lord has them there. The presidents are the presidents because the Lord has them there. Anybody in authority is in their seat because the Lord has them there. And when you're doubting them and when you're questioning them, you're questioning the Lord. So rather than doing that, you just need to pray for your leaders. And um, I had to learn that. I had to learn to do that myself. Um, verse 29 says, you shall, you shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices, the firstborn of your sons, shall, uh, you shall give to me. And likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep, and it shall be with its mother up to seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. And you shall be holy men to me, and you shall not eat meat that was torn by a beast in the field. Um, you shall throw it to the dogs. So, <clears throat> the Lord is just telling the people here, you know, I provide the rain for your, for your crops to grow, you know, uh, every, everything you have, all your first fruits, the reason you have money, the reason you have those crops to make money to provide for your family is because I, I allowed it to happen. And the Lord is saying, you know, just give me back what belongs to me. Um, that can, we can go into tithing with that, but that's just a whole nother, a whole nother Bible study, I think. Um, when, when we get paid, we, we're getting paid because we're working and we're working because the Lord is allowing us to work. Um, and you might be thinking like, well, no, I got my job and, and, you know, I provide for myself. But really, the Lord has you in his hands and in an instance, you can be crippled, you can be handicapped and you cannot work. You could be relying on other governments and stuff like that, right? But because you're capable and because you do work and the Lord is providing an income for you, um, it's just our responsibility to give back to the Lord. And that's the way that the churches affect the communities. Um, the people in the body, you know, giving their first fruits in tithing and, and allowing the church to have an income to pay for buildings like this, to have people to come out and drink free coffees and put on events at the parks. Um, all that happens because the Lord is allowing it to happen. And he's just saying, just give me what belongs to me. That's all. That's all the Lord wants. Um, now we're into our last chapter, chapter 23. Um, it says, You shall not circulate a false report, 
Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside as many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. In other words, just do the right thing. Um, when you're an actual witness of, of an instance that, that ends up, you know, where the authorities are getting involved and, and things are just going wrong and, and they need witnesses, it's saying, you know, make sure you're telling an honest and a truthful story. Um, Proverbs 13 tells us, he who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. Here it's telling you, don't join those crowds. Don't join people just because they have authority, because they're wealthy, you know? Don't despise the poor or the lesser because um, God just loves an honest man and he, he just wants an honest report from us. Um, and also a, a, good, a good example that Moses is um, able to relate to that he just spoke to these men about was actually in chapter 18. Um, chapter 18, 17, when Jethro, his father-in-law, he comes to Moses because Moses is being the only judge over all the people that are following him. And you got to remember when they exited, when they parted through the Red Sea, um, it was believed to be over 2 million people, right? Was it 2 million people that followed Moses? About 2 to 3 million people that, fo that followed him. Um, so these people are just following Moses. And Moses is being the only judge over all of them. He's literally just posted up in his tent. People are coming to him with complaints. And they want him to tell them, like, who's right, who's wrong, you know? Be our judge. Tell us what to do. And his father-in-law, Jethro, sees him and he says, Hey, man, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you... <laughs> sitting at your tent all day answering to these people's matters and he's saying they're just coming to me with their problems and if I don't do it nobody's going to do it but Jethro's like realizing how many people there are and he's telling them you need to appoint judges and rulers over these people you know you need, you need to put other men to help you take care of these matters because you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to burn the people out when one man tries to control and rule over a whole congregation a whole body for you know, he just wants to call the shots. He just wants to be the one on top. Um, you're not always going to make the right decision. Your mind's not going to be there, right? You're going to be over that sometimes. And um, you're going to probably not give an honest feedback. Or you're not, you're not going to give the people what they truly need. They're, you're full attention because at a certain point you're going to be done and tired. And the people are going to be tired of waiting. Um, and in 18, it, it even tells us, Jethro says, when you select these men that are going to help you, um, it says, when you select from the people, you need to select people that fear God. They are men of truth. They hate covetousness. Um, and place such them over to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifteens, and rulers of tens. And let them be the judge over the people at all times. And when there's something too big for them to handle, something that they can't come to a conclusion with, then they can bring it to you and you can be the final judge. But the most important thing is he wants truthful, honest, just men that are going to fear the Lord and do the right thing. Um, verse 4 says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under its burden, um, you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. So in other words, 
you see your neighbor struggling, at this point he's saying your neighbor's ox or donkey, that's how, how they worked. But let's just say for you, if you're, you know, you got beef with your neighbor and um, you're mad because your neighbor always parks in front of your house and you let out the air in their tires, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, that neighbor always puts a trash can in front of their house, they're saving all the spots, that neighbor has 10 cars. So you're building this strife and this anger towards them, right? Um, what the Lord is saying is like, hey, if that same neighbor is going through something, if they're hurting, it's your responsibility to step in and help them and take care of them. Because like, once again, as Christians, as Christ followers, as little, little Christ, it's our responsibility to reflect Jesus. Um, it's our responsibility to be that light. And if you're constantly um, having strife with people, if you're not watching your tongue, if if you're holding these grudges and you're making enemies, are you really being like Jesus? Um, those bracelets, what would Jesus do, are so cool. I didn't understand them as a kid. I thought they were just cool bracelets. But it, it really is something to, to, you know, really try to live by. Because when you put yourself in a situation, like, what would Jesus do? I was talking to my coworker today. I was telling Angel that working today, I was working with one of my coworkers. And as I'm praying and thinking about the study today, um, I'm writing down notes or whatever God's putting on my heart. And it just happened that every time I stopped my car is when I was able to write. So my co-worker was getting out of the car and he's like, dude, you've been writing stuff all day. What are you writing? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm writing notes for, for church. And he goes, oh, that's cool. Like, what though? And I said, well, you know, when God is ministering to me while I'm driving and I'm praying and I'm able to write down notes of what he's putting on my heart, he goes, well, like for what? Like, do you teach or... I said, yeah, I'm actually teaching tonight at 7, so I've been studying his word, and um, God's just giving me stuff, man. He goes, oh, that's cool, that's cool. So then his first question is, so, like, are you religious? And I'm like, uh, no, I'm not religious, I'm a Christian. And I kind of stopped, and I said, wait, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have, okay. I said, let me explain something to you. <laughs> he goes, okay. He says, I, I go, for me to call myself a Christian, um... You know, in the Bible, the, the apostles and people that followed Jesus never called themselves Christians. That was a name that was given to them, and I'm explaining this to him. I said, and the reason it was given to them is because Christian, it just means little Christ, and it's our responsibility to reflect Jesus. I said, oh, he says, oh, okay, so like, you can't listen to rap music, um, you don't cuss or anything, right? And I'm just laughing, and I'm like, well, I mean, you know the bracelet, what would Jesus do? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I said. So that's how I try to live my life, you know. I put myself in situations where, am I perfect? No. Do I mess up? Of course. Um, do I do stupid things, make dumb decisions? Of course. I said, but it's my responsibility to reflect Jesus. So if I'm not living in a way that's separate from the way that man lives, and, the, and um, if you're not able to look at me and say, like, oh, that guy does love Jesus, or that guy is a Christian, then I'm not doing my, my duties right, you know. I'm not doing my church duties right. <laughs> not to Libre, but... Um, he kind of just laughed and he goes, okay, that's cool. He's like, well, you know what? He goes, I can never be a Christian. He says, because I just love women too much. <laughs> and I was like, okay, dude, well, I said, I'm, I'm a Christian, bro. And so we just kind of cut it at that. But um, that, that's just pretty much, you know, love your enemies, right? What's the greatest commandment of them all? What did Jesus say the greatest commandment of them all? It's to love one another. It's to love one another, right? Like the way he has and. And doing that, you fulfill every, every commandment that there is in the Bible. So love is above everything in the eyes of Jesus. Um, verse 6 says, You shall not pervert the judgment of the poor. 
In his dispute, keep yourself far from a false matter and do not kill the innocent and the righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall um, take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and, perver and perverts the words of the righteous. Continuing on with the whole just be honest thing. Um, that's literally what it is, just be an honest person. And when I was reading this, something stuck out to me that um, one of my teachers at CBI taught us, Pastor Sammy Martinez, um, from Calvary Chapel, Moreno Valley. He said, hey, don't be a tail bearer. And my wife knows about it because she's, she's actually touched on that with some women before. But don't be a tail bearer. Like, you don't sit around a table gossiping and it's hard because I've done it and I, I do it more than I probably should. <laughs> but don't be a tail bearer. And Pastor Sammy says this. He says, the way I cut that out of my life is if somebody comes up to me and they say, oh my gosh, guess what? Did you hear about so-and-so? And he says, wait, 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 wait. Before you continue, let me ask you something. What you're about to tell me, can I share that with somebody else and say that you told me? And if they say no, then he says, I don't want to hear it. If, if what you're telling me, if I can't go around and share with other people and ask people to pray about it, if I can't use your name, then I don't want to hear it. And I think that that's a really, really cool thing for us to try to, you know, apply to our lives as well. And that, that would definitely cut out gossiping. That will cut out a lot of stuff, you know. Um, and, and the Lord's saying, like, don't take bribes. Like, you know, don't, don't take money. Don't, don't be enticed by it because that's just going to blind you. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to control you and it's going to um, just mess up with what's going on. You know, it's going to have a false report come out and somebody might pay a consequence because of it. Um, and then once again, this is the second time the Lord says this in these three chapters, you shall not oppress a stranger for you know that the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So once again, don't come against strangers just because they're not from here. Um, don't treat them differently. You know, you're a stranger once in Egypt and I had compassion and love for you. And, and, and now you're in a, a place of elevation, you know, and make sure you're just returning that favor to the others. Um, the law of the Sabbaths. So this is, we're kind of coming to the end here, the last 10 verses. Um, is it the last 10? Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, psych. The last 17 verses, but we'll kind of just kind of get through them. Um, the law of the Sabbath says, On the sixth year you shall sow your land and gather in its produce, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie, um, follow that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. And in this manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days uh, you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Your ox and your donkeys, they may rest as well. And the, sons of, and the son of your female servant and the strangers, they may be refreshed. And in that, in all that I have said to you, uh, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. So the Sabbath is, is the Lord's just making it an important thing here. He's saying... Every six days, so I believe in this culture, the first day is a Sunday, right? So Sunday would be day one. So from Sunday until Friday, just work, you know, tend to your, your flock, tend to your crops, get whatever you need to get. But on that seventh day, don't go out there, you know, rest. Allow yourself to rest, allow your animals to rest, allow your servants to rest, because the poor are gonna come around and it's kind of like a welfare program for them. They're able to take what's left in the fields those days to provide for their families. And then whatever they don't eat, whatever, you know, um, stray animals are out struggling behind them, they're able to, to finish the rest of it. 
Um, and the Lord is just saying, like, that seventh day, just, you know, let's, let's, let's breathe, let's relax. And the same thing. He says that in the beginning, he says, in the six years you shall, um, you shall work for your produce. And in the seventh year, you know, the whole Jubilee thing, just let it, let it be free. Um, verse 14 says, three times you shall keep a feast for me in the year. You shall keep the feast of the unleavened bread, and you shall eat the bread seven days as I have commanded you. And at an appointed time in the mouth of a bib, for in it you have come out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And then you shall also, also keep uh, the feast of the harvest, which is the first fruits of your labor, and uh, which you have sown in the field, and also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year. When you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times in the year, all your males, they shall appear before the Lord God, and you shall not offer any blood sacrifices with unleavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land shall bring into the house of the Lord your God, and you shall not um, boil a young goat in its mother's milk. So, <clears throat> every, every time these three holidays hit, and, um, you know, one was in the beginning of the year, one was in the middle, one was at the end, they're all significant, and they all have different meanings, um, uh, of those are just like different studies you can get into later but anytime those three holidays came around the year the Lord wanted every single male in the land no matter how far he had to travel they were to come and join together to celebrate these um, as one before the Lord to offer you know just praise and worship and sacrifice for what the Lord is providing for them um, and then here we're into the last portion of the whole text so it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And you shall bow, uh, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their scarce pillars. Um, this is believed to be a Christophany when he says uh, that I will send an angel before you. It's believed to be Jesus. So a lot of the reasons why they want it that it's believed to be that way is um, everything he's saying, you know, that this angel he sends before him, as long as you're obeying this angel's voice and, and commands that he lays before you, he'll be on your side and he'll get you through any obstacles, any troubles. He'll get you through um, oppression from your enemies and he's going he's gonna to help you to, to um, increase and, and to be stronger. And it also says that my name is in him and it's believed that in, in Hebrew, the word Yahweh, that it means God. And how he says, my name is in him. The name of Jesus also in Hebrew is uh, Yahshua. So, you know, Yahweh, Yahshua, they're, they're kind of intertwined. So that's kind of a cool little, a little puzzle to connect. That's a possibility. But it's just saying, obey what this angel is putting before you. You know, follow his, his commandments. And, and I'm going to send them before you to, to provide and, gu and guide you through any obstacles. And shall you do this, you'll be successful in life. Um, it says, so you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless uh, your bread and your water. 
and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. Um, it says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to Philistia and from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and I shall deliver them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their God. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, I will surely be a snare to you. So the Lord is again telling them, I'm gonna send literally literal hornets before you. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna give you these people land. I'm gonna give you their land and I'm gonna help you to grow, but it's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen in one year. It's gonna take time, right? He's saying, if I do this all at once, there will be nothing left in the land for you. Um, and the, the beast of the field will be too much for you to bear and they'll overwhelm you guys. So the Lord is just saying, be patient. When I promise you something and I'm trying to get you to a point in your life, you know, when I'm trying to fulfill a promise that I set before you, I will do it. You just have to be patient. It's going to take time. Um, there's a lot of times where maybe you're, you're praying and you're asking God to provide something for you. Uh, uh, you, you you know that the Lord spoke a promise to you and you're just in this season of waiting while the Lord's saying let it play out, let things happen just because I promise you something it's not a snap of a finger, it's not going to just happen like that, you know, there's, there's going to be this waiting period, there's going to be this growing period, this refining period he says but if you become unpatient um, if you become impatient and and you, you know you you fall to what the world has to offer. If you start serving their gods and you start bowing down to them and you partake of what the world has and you turn from me, then I'm gonna be a snare to you. Me and you will never be on the same page. I'll become, you know, I'll become your worst enemy when I can become your best friend. <laughs> just, follow, just follow my lead and my commandments and know that everything takes time. Um, but that, that's it for the study. And um, let's just pray real quick before we, we close out. Um, sorry, Yvette, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> Amo, that wasn't intentional. <laughs> you want to pray? Okay, Angel's going to go ahead. Can you have your phone plugged in? Yeah, still plugged in, bro. Let me see. I always trip out every time we, uh, I read through, through God's law. And sorry, I know we're running late, so I'm going to... I'll make it short, but man, I for one was like amazed, you know, and, and I know as soon as you go through it, and it's kind of, seems kind of, you know, just uh, uh, laborious and like, and yeah, none of this stuff really pertains to us. So like, what's the point of even reading it? What's up with that? We don't have male and female servants. We don't have goats and oxen and we don't dig holes and let people fall on them and stuff like that. So you might think, man, this is like irrelevant, right? What's the point of even reading it? It's like, I'm just it's like boring and all that. But really when, when you see um, just how, Concern God was for the people, really just the, the, the laws that He set in place. One thing that, that I can say as we go through these laws, that as one for me, I'm definitely grateful that we don't live by the law, and that the Bible tells us that we don't live, and that God doesn't accept us based on our ability to keep the law. 
right? This was written to, 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 the, to the Jewish people, to, to, the, to the nation of Israel, as they were there in the, in the, in, in, in the wilderness and going to be established as a nation. God would, would, uh, would judge them based on their, their ability to keep this law. Now, the New Testament tells us that God doesn't judge us based on our ability to keep the law. That, this, that the whole law was meant, as, as a, again, as a, as a measuring tape, as we studied last week, to show us how far we fall from the law and how much we can't keep the law. And it amazes me that the Jews, is like, man, if you think all these were a lot of laws, the Jews had another book that had another 600-something laws in addition to these laws because they didn't know how to interpret it. When God said, all right, you shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath, you know, like, uh, work six days, the last day, don't do any work. Someone would say, well, what's considered work? Uh, I got a pig leg or I got a this, I got to carry uh, my, my grandma to her bed because she's on a wheelchair. Is that considered work? So they would write a whole other additional laws to the law and they would put these heavy trips on people, these heavy burdens on people that they could not keep. And then Jesus, he would come in and he would just simplify it, right? The, 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 the religious Jews, they would come up to him. They thought they were the big shots of the law and they thought, all right, we're going to trip them up. And they would ask him, all right, Jesus, you know, if you're the Messiah, if you know so much, what's the... What's the greatest law, right? Keep in mind that they had not just the Ten Commandments, not just the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, but that other 600 laws in addition to the laws. And Jesus said, hey, this, this is, in this the law is fulfilled. Love God, love God while your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, and in this, the whole law is fulfilled. And they just blew their minds because they would, man puts these heavy trips on people in order to get to God, right? And, and that's what we define as religion. I get that same question. I don't know if you're a Christian. You get the same question all the time. So you're religious? Does that mean you're religious? You're very religious. Huh? And it's hard to, to explain to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, you know, the difference between our biblical, biblical Christianity and religion. Because when, when we describe religion, when we talk about religion, religion is man putting these heavy burdens on people in order to get to God. Right? And, and really that's what, what the religious leaders were doing in Jesus' time is that they were putting these heavy trips on people, these heavy burdens on people, and they were making it impossible to please God. And yet what it would create, it would create this huge uh, chasm, this huge gap between and, and the, and the, the heart of man between them and God. And they would realize, like, man, I, I'm never going to be able to get close to God. God's never going to accept me. There's nothing I can do you know, in order for God to be pleased with me. And that's why Jesus had to come and he had to show them, hey man, you guys are the, the teachers of the law and you're not even keeping the law, right? And so, and so the, the beautiful thing is that, hey man, that, that God doesn't judge us according to the law, right? But, but God judges according to our faith in Jesus Christ and, and the trust that we have and what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. And I think that's beautiful. But even just going through the law, I'm just going to highlight a few things that stood out to me. And, and I would think, man, God is so perfect, right? Because people could look at the, at the Bible just earlier before church. Jesus, I was talking to some kid outside, and I was, I was inviting him to the Bible study, and then uh, we started talking about the Bible and all that, and he's like, yeah, I've read it, and I was like, what does it mean to you, or what, what did you get out of it? He's all, hey, just a bunch of cool stories, I guess, and he's just a bunch of stories, that's, that's it. I'm like, no, but there's more to it. You know, do you know what's all about Jesus? He's all, no, he's all, it's just a bunch of different stories, and I was like, yeah, but the whole Bible's about Jesus. He's like, no, it's not. He says, it's just a bunch of cool stories that you can apply to your life, and Really, that's the way a lot of people look at the Bible. Maybe you've looked at the Bible uh, uh, like this before. You think it, it's just a bunch of cool stories. But really, we see God's moral law set up. And, and even if we don't apply these things you know, word for word, we see that, that, that the concept of it, you know, the idea of it, if, if it were to be applied to a society like today, we see how much uh, could be avoided. Right? And really, as you look at it, a lot of these things are applied to our society today. For example, there in chapter 22, as a... 
as, as God is writing to them right through Moses and he tells them this there in, in uh, chapter 22 verse verse 2 he says, if a, he says if a thief is found breaking into your house and he is struck so that he dies there shall be no guilt for the for his bloodshed we have that law today even in California and even some of those states where they have the strictest gun laws you know if somebody breaks into your house and he's if he's on your property and you shoot him you're you're guiltless, right? The, 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 they can't condemn you. Why? Because he came into your private property. Yeah, California has certain laws that you can't shoot him in the back. He has to be, you know, front. He has to be a certain amount of, of space. They try to put all these regulations. But yeah, you see that that they get this concept from where? From the Bible, right? Even a government that, that denies the existence of God, even a government that tries to push God out of the picture, out of the government, yet they still, you know, whether they acknowledge it or not, they apply some biblical standards to society. The next one. And then verse 4, chapter 22 says, If the theft is certainly if the thief is certain is found alive in if the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. I think that's an amazing law that if it was applied to society today, I mean I think it would cause a lot of people to think twice about going in and stealing someone's stuff. Right? You're seeing about all these uh, uh, break-ins and all these robberies and all these smashing grabs that are going on in the malls now, just stuff that's like, man, we haven't really seen an I mean, I haven't seen, you know, but in my lifetime, but just the, the, how openly it is now, right? Because they know that they're not getting prosecuted. Now, imagine if they, if they knew that if they get caught, they had to pay the person who owns that stuff, all that stuff back. It's like now if you get caught or if you get in trouble, whatever, you know, you have to pay the, the state back. I did, man. I'm not going to lie. I did like, I could, I probably did like thousands and thousands of hours of community service and Caltrans and all that stuff to pay back. And I stole a bunch of money to the court from my past life. But even all the damage I did to, to, proper, to, to individual property, I never had to pay the, back the individual. But I would think, man, if I had that in, in the back of my heart and, and mind knowing that if I get caught, I have to pay back this individual's car that I just totaled or this, this, that, or the other, I would think twice. And you would think about how many criminals would think twice about, about committing a crime knowing that if they caught, specifically theft, theft, knowing that if they get caught, they have to pay back the individual. You know, it's like, man, it, it, but it, again, just God's perfect law, you know, and God knew what he was doing, right? This isn't just a book of stories, right? But it's God's moral law. Later on, he would say there in chapter 22, as, as Bob read it, when it comes to that, that principle of, 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 uh, of marriage or just the, of, of uh, sexual relationships, when it says there in chapter 22, verse 16, he says, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed, meaning who is not uh, engaged to somebody, he says, and, and lies with her, he says, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. And really, you, uh, somebody may look at this and think, man, that's kind of crazy, you know, like that, uh, you know, that, that this is in the Bible. But really, what it's talking about and, and, and the whole concept behind this is God's, how, is, how God sees just the preciousness of uh, sexuality. I mean, they wait, what, what, how, how are you even talking about that? Well, keep in mind that, that, that God created sex, right? It, to, to be enjoyed within the bounds of marriage. We, sin, sin comes in and we mess all that up, you know, and, and, and sexual relationships between a man and a woman, you know, when the confines of marriage is good, right? God, in, there in Genesis chapter one, when he created Adam and Eve, you know, he told them, all right, be fruitful and multiply and, and we think if God wanted to he could have just made it this process where we just uh, 
conceive, right, and, and reproduce, and won't have no feeling at all. But yet God made it enjoyable. He made it pleasurable for us. Why? Because to God, it's a beautiful thing, right? God created it, but he created it to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. And, and to God, this is something sacred. Right? And we see how, 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 how much we've perverted in our, in our own lives, right? When we, when we practice it outside of the confines of what God has already given us, outside of God's uh, biblical you know, standards for it. And so sex is good. Sex is a holy thing. It's a sacred thing because God created it, right? He created us uh, uh, the way we are to, 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 to uh, uh, um, uh, receive and, and receive pleasure and stuff. But again, it's a holy thing when, when it's done under the confines of marriage. And, and, and I love how just God sets a standard here for it. And he says, it says, amen, if a man, you know, entices a, a woman, you know, who, who, who's, who's a virgin and, 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 you know, and he messes around with her. It says he has to pay the pride, the, the bride price for her to, to be his wife. Meaning that God didn't make it easy for, for, for men to go around and, and just sleep with women like that. Right, God made it hard for them. He says, "Hey, look, man, if if this guy wants to go around and sleep with women like that, he's gonna have to pay the price to be uh, for her to be his his wife, right? And even if he doesn't marry her, he has to pay the price. Which the Jews that they had a, a big old price that the that the man when he wants to marry a woman, he had to pay the her, her father. And so a, a guy would think twice, thinking, man, all right, man, I, she's she's beautiful, this that whatever, but I, do I really want to go broke and you know just just to fulfill my 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 my, my fleshly lust for a few minutes?" And so it would make God is making it hard for a man to uh, to defile a woman in that way, and we see that man, that God is looking at, at the justice of a woman, right? And, and he's and he's making it again. He's he, he's putting it in their society, you know. He's putting it in their hearts. He's putting it in, the, in their understanding that a woman's virginity virginity is, is is sacred. That a man's virginity is sacred. That that that, that a sexual relationship is sacred, right? And that, and that it's not something that should be taken advantage of. And so. I hear this from a lot of people, especially young people who don't know a lot about the Bible. They think, and the Bible is, you know, sexist, it's anti-woman, it's, you know, uh, religion uses the Bible to control women and all kinds of things. But really we see that, that, that here God is, again, he's protecting the woman. He's protecting, protecting the woman's purity, the woman's sexuality by making it hard for the man, just any man who is not the husband to come in and just do whatever he wants and entice this woman, right? Man, God is amazing. Right? Again, why? Because God created this and God is trying to protect it. Later on, he would say, you should not permit a sorceress to live. You know, Bub mentioned it. Witchcraft. Man, this is something that we see all around us today but that's not even hidden. Right? It's like, dude, I went to Target the other day and I saw a Ouija board right there for sale and in and, and the kids' toy section with all the rest of the, 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 the board games. There's chess, there's checkers, there's uh, bingo, and then boom, there's a Ouija board. And it's like, dude, what? that's crazy. I remember when we were kids, when we were younger, yeah, I, I messed around with that stuff, not knowing what it was, you know. But it was something like, oh man, this is like my uh, my uncles, cousins, uh, you know, friends Ouija board that they've had for a long time. We had to hide it in the closet under a bunch of clothes and stuff, and you know, we did it when no one was around because it was such a like dark thing, right? And now, dude, you go to Target, boom, it's promoted, right? You go on social media, boom, it's promoted. It's like you, there's jewelry being sold. It's so out there. And, and, and it's heavy to think that man, this is like how far society has fallen, right? That 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 that's what's known as sorcery, witchcraft, is just it's just so blatantly just out there, right? And and, and not knowing that the, the the damage that, that that it does to someone because it opens doors. Later on in the New Testament, uh, there in the Book of Acts, actually, uh, uh, Paul, you know, he, he would he would uh, he would use this word uh, sorcery, you know, and, and it's actually the the word pharmakia in the Greek which is the English word translates to, to pharmacy, which talks about drugs, 
right? And so, and so there in the New Testament, interesting that the word uh, sorcery, pharmakia, you know, it, it directly relates drugs to witchcraft, right? And we see, I mean, if, you're me if you mess around with drugs, we see kind of that, that, that window that it opens to, to your mind, right? When you, that when you mess around with drugs, yeah, I mean, you see people out in the street all shot out right now and they're talking to themselves. Some of them like are literally demon possessed. I remember doing a, a ministry under the riverbeds one time and this lady came at me with the syringe trying to stab me and I was like running for my life, man. This lady was like, she was on drugs, so she was running super fast. I'm like, I almost didn't outrun her. But it's like, you see like, man, the, just the, 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 the effect that it has on someone's mind and really because they've opened a, a door to witchcraft, you know, to, 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 to demonic you know, oppression, pharmakia, sorcery, witchcraft. Right, and so God, God warns against it to so much to the point where He says, "You shall not permit a sorceress to live." Why? Because they're bringing in this demonic influence into God's people, and it's something that a Christian should not mess with. Ouija boards, uh, even uh, uh, astronomy, right? Checking horoscopes—that is all directly related to, to witchcraft. Right? He goes on to say, "There's something that, that I love there in verse 22 of chapter 22. He says, "You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child." Isn't that precious? Isn't that beautiful that the Lord would stand up for somebody who has no one to stand up for them? Where God says, hey, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. I think that's beautiful. Because I grew up without a dad. My mom was at work all the time and I had to eventually find out how to defend myself. Right? I had no one to defend me. So many kids out there that had no one to defend them. So many kids are being trafficked, that are being taken advantage of, you know, and in all these other countries, and even here in the U.S. Why? Because they have no one to defend them. And God says, "Hey, man." God says, "I take it personal when somebody when somebody inflicts damage or, or, or inflicts pain to a widow, meaning someone who's lost their husband or has no one to defend them, or 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 a defenseless child." God takes it so personal that He says in verse twenty-three, "If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me." He says, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children and your children fatherless. God takes it very personal and I, I love that. I love that about the Lord because God is, you know, a, a father to the fatherless. He is a defender to the defenseless. Right? He takes it very personal. You know, he would say there in chapter 23, verse 9, again, just skimming through it as, as Bob went through it. It says, also you shall not oppress a stranger for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And I love how, how Bob mentioned that the Lord brings this up a couple of times. And later on, he's going to bring it up again in the book of Exodus, and then even in Leviticus, and then even in Numbers, where he's going to tell them, right? He says, don't mess with the strangers, because you know what it's like to be a stranger in a foreign land, right? And so God says, look, I allowed you to be strangers in a foreign land. I allowed you to experience, you know, what, what, what a stranger goes, goes through in, in a culture that's not their own. Why? So that when the strangers are... Um, amongst your culture so you don't know how to, how to deal with them right? and I love something that Gigi says you know all the time to quote Gigi sorry Gigi but she says you're like hey man uh, uh, people in the world man man, they get beat up in the world right and then they come to church and they and, and they come to church and they get bullied and they get beat up on and they get picked on it's like no nah, man if they get enough of that in the world right and it's like the Lord allows us to go through things in the world you know go through stuff be picked on this that the other why so that when we become Christians and we're not we're in the church, hey man, people are hurting, you know, from the world and they come to the church. And it's like the Lord told them, hey look, don't oppress a stranger because you know what it's like to be a stranger. And it's like now we're in the church and, and the Lord tells us the same thing, hey, don't oppress a stranger, an outsider, outside of the church who comes in or even out there. Why? Because you know what it's like to be that person. Now you have a Father in Heaven who loves you, who has sanctified you, who has redeemed you, right, who has made you brand new, who has shed His love upon you. 
He says, don't forget that. You know, and don't forget where you came from. Then he'll tell him later on, he says, but the seventh year you shall let it rest, that it he says, don't do anything. He says, that the poor of your people may eat. And again, God is taking care of even the, the lowest people in society. I love that. I love that. I was talking to Liz the other day, you know, and, and she had, I, I'm like, they pray for me because I'm like, man, I've always had a heart for homeless people, but my heart is growing cold. I'll be honest. I'll be straight up with you guys. You know, I'm working in downtown in Hollywood, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some crazy stuff, these guys, every single day, and I'm, th I'm, I'm looking at the wrong way now where my heart is becoming cold towards them. I'm like, man, we just, we just got to get their stuff together. It's just, we got to find something else to do with these people, right? And, and, and I'm losing compassion for them, you know, and I, and I prayed. I prayed. I'm like, I caught myself today. You know, I'm walking over this guy. I get to work early in the morning, 5.30 in the morning. Boom, he's laid out. I go to lunch. He's laid out. I, I, I go back to lunch. He's laid out. I go back home. He's laid out in the same spot. And then only with a bunch of bags of groceries and food and stuff. I'm like, man, I wish somebody would just bring me stuff like that, right? And I got, I got cold out. I was like, man, I was like a resentful. I'm like, oh, man. And I got in the car. I'm driving home. And I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me, you know, because, man, my heart is kind of, you know, growing cold toward, towards them, you know. And I see that, yeah, you know, what they did, that's on them, you know, and they're hurting too. You know, they're on, they're stuck on stuck also, right? And, and someone's got to reach out to them. Right now, it can't be me because my heart's like all cold. But, you know, I prayed. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Why? Because God, God takes them into consideration, right? Even if, they, if they're out there because of what they did, drugs and all that, God's taking them into consideration. God says, hey, he says, he's looking out for the poor of the land, right? And then I like later on what he says. Uh, and, and, and I'll, I'll end with this thought. They're at the end of chapter 23 and verse 29 as he's telling them, look, man, I'm going to send my fear before you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to drive the people out of the land. He says, I'm going you know, to put, put the fear of them in you. And verse 29 of chapter 23 says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. He says, lest the land become uh, desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But he says, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And so as God is promising them, look, I'm going to bring you guys into the land that I promised you. There's people living in there right now who are practicing all this crazy stuff, worshiping false gods, worshiping demons, sacrificing their babies, doing some crazy stuff. God says, I'm going to drive them out and I'm going to bring you in. But he says, I'm not going to drive them out for you in one year. He says, but I'm going to do it little by little. Just little by little, I'm going to drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the whole land. You may think, what's that all about? And really, when, when God is talking about all these other people groups there in the Bible in the Old Testament, we could relate that to our sin, right? When God brings us into his family, you know, we come all messed up, man. We got all stuff that, 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 that you know, we accumulate from our past lives. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 2.17, I believe. It says, uh, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He says, uh, behold, you know, all things have passed and everything is made new. And so when we come to the Lord by faith, man, God makes us brand new. But yeah, we still sometimes carry hurt and burden and things from the past that kind of carry on into our new life. And, 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 and the children of Israel bringing brought into the promised land is, is, uh, is symbolic of, of the Christian now being brought into this fullness of Christ and this new walk. And so God is saying, look, I'm going to drive out all those, all those old inhabitants from the land little by little. He says, because if I do it all at once, he says, then other problems are going to rise up. And so when we come to the Lord, sometimes we get, get frustrated. We're like, man, Lord, I'm still, I've been walking with you for X amount of years. I'm still battling with this stuff. I'm, this stuff is still an issue. He's like, why, why, why can't you just get rid of it all at once? 
And God says, I'm going to get rid of it. But little by little, why? He says, because he told him, I will drive them out from you from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Meaning, God wanted them to grow in their knowledge of him as he drives them out little by little. And so us too, as Christians, God sometimes lets things linger in our lives from our past lives. Why? So that it could cause a dependency in us for God saying, Lord, there's this thing right here. I can't get rid of it. I can't get it off my chest. I can't get it off my shoulder. I'm still battling with it. God says, hey, bring it to me. Like, All right, a year later, God says, hey, bring it to me. And, and, and through that, God causes us to grow in Him. Why? Because we're depending on Him. Because we're relying on Him. Because we're going to Him. If we come to the Lord and He just takes away every addiction, every problem, every bad thought, every bad intention, every, you know, every, every sin, all these things. Right, that, 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 we, that we deal with, and then we have no reason to ever come to, back to God at all. Right, Lord, you saved me, you sanctified me, I'm good, I'm not bad at one thing. I'm a perfect individual now. Cool, I don't even need to go to church, right? Because I'm perfect. But you gotta set up where the church is like a hospital of just messed up people, and you're all messed up, I'm messed up, right? And, 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 and that's the way you gotta set it up. Why? Because it's like we come together as a body of Christ, all messed up, right? And, 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 we, and it's like we're all pleading to the Lord together, saying, Lord, I'm just here to grow in you, right? To be increased and to, and, and to, and to inherit more of that spiritual Christian, that fullness of, that, of, of, of life in Christ, little by little, as we all just walk with you. Not because I'm up here and I'm, peach, and I'm teaching doesn't mean I'm there more than you, no. It's like all of us are walking and, and all of our goals should be to, 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 to look more like Christ in our own walks, right? That's what Paul said. He says, hey man, he says, I'm making my aim, right? To be more like Christ. And Paul would say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me as I'm Paul the Apostle, but follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so that puts us all kind of on a level playing field, right? Because we all battle with our own stuff, maybe not, not the same things, but our, our walks all look like this, where the, the Lord is little by little, you know, driving out those old things that we deal with, right? Those old things that we battle with, little by little as we walk with Him. And He's increasing us in, a, in our relationship with Him until we all come to that fullness of Christ. Amen? Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your word, Lord. We love you, Father. And thank you for blessing us with your, with your word, Lord, and uh, just uh, uh, the understanding of it, Lord, the application of it, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that you would just cultivate in our hearts, Lord, this love for your word, Lord, this desire for your word, Lord, to know it, to read it, to study it, to apply it, to live by it. And Father, I pray that you would cultivate in our hearts the desire to know you, Lord. We don't want to just know the word, but we want, we want to know the God of the word. So, uh, Father, may you just, uh, again, just... Bless our, bless our hearts, Lord. Bless, uh, bless us with that, with that desire in our hearts, Father God. May you just cause us to, to get good rest tonight, Lord. Help us to wake up uh, uh, refreshed tomorrow, refreshed in you, Lord, and physically also, Lord. And I pray that you just bless my brothers and sisters, Lord, here tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you guys.